This is not a dream. You are listening to the Nelson Broadcast Network. This is not a dream. This is Aiden's Revisited. This is not a dream. With your host, Trey Harris. This is not a dream. This is not a dream. welcome sign out here. The hills still have eyes. They'd already... And the podcast still has ears. Or something that makes sense. Whatever I said makes more sense than this movie does, because that's right, we're back. Halloween horror, hootenanny of terror, horror, whatever. I ran out of H-words. I need to actually write that down. I need to write down the H-word. Onomatopoeia, not onomatopoeia. Alliteration, is that it? Is that the word I'm thinking of? It's one of those. Yeah, whatever it is. English majors, send us an email. Anyway, everybody, welcome back. Halloween Horror continues. Our Wes Craven-themed Halloween Horror 2021 on 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your horrifying host, Trey Harris. And with me, as always, is the terrifying Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. See, I told you it was terrifying. Not as terrifying as this movie, though, and I don't mean that in a scary way, as we talk about The Hills Have Eyes 2, widely considered to be Wes Craven's worst film. But more on that in a little bit. Let's let's get the uh, you know the the, the five was it the four W's who what when where four W's out of the way. Sorry, four W's. All right, release August second, nineteen eighty five. IMDb three point eight. <laughs> However, Rotten Tomatoes critics zero percent, nineteen percent audience. So this is not a well received movie. Going right into, right off the bat, just letting everybody know that. Uh, budget was estimated at 700k. Could find no info about opening weekend. Nothing about it theatrically. More on that in a little bit. However, just so you kind of have a timestamp for when this movie came out, Back to the Future, the original, was number one for its fifth week in a row. Uh, so that kind of tells you what everybody was thinking about instead of this movie. Uh, but to kind of the reason, like, it's really hard to find any info. And I looked at the top 20 movies for the week, and it was not in the top 20 for the week. Uh, but it was released in a brief, limited theatrical run in the U.S. and then uh, from an, a defunct film distributor called Castle Hill Productions, and eventually was released shortly after direct-to-video and uh, pay-per-view, so to speak, not too long after the actual quote-unquote theatrical release date. Honestly, very akin to what movies are doing now as we're still coming out of this pandemic, to where it's in the theater for about a month and then it's in, uh, streaming a month later. So if you don't want to see Venom, wait a month. If you didn't want to see, uh, I think Shang Chi. Or Shang-Chi comes out, uh, I think, on Disney Plus next month. Mm. So, you know, the, the turnaround now from theater to home is much quicker. So this film was actually ahead of its time with what it did. <laughs> Although for very, very different reasons. But anyway, directed, of course, Wes Craven, Nightmare on Elm Street. If you don't know who he is, get the fuck out. Uh, also, again, written by Craven. Uh, he's he came a long way from this one. <laughs> Cinematography was David Lewis. Now, David Lewis, in addition to Craven, is also a veteran of the podcast because he was the cinematographer on one of the greatest films of all time, Weird Al's UHF, okay. and also TV wise, Pee Wee's Playhouse. So, and honestly, there's some. I'll get into it in just a sec. Well, we're talking about the cinematography. Cinematography in this film, real quick. There are parts where it, this movie looks like a film. And then in the next scene, it looks like a television movie. 
I was going to say, it looked like uh, a everything. handheld camera. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's all over the place. But right. that opening scene in the film where, uh, what's his name, Bill, uh, Bobby is talking to the psychiatrist, if, you, if you're watching the movie, when it shows Bobby, it looks great. looks like a Wes Craven movie. When it cuts to the psychiatrist, it's like, this dude's lit in a totally another area. See, like that, you're, again, we're watching it, y'all aren't. And this is but, on uh, YouTube, by the way, the full movie. Yeah, the, the quality is terrible. On my TV, like, looks... <laughs> So much, so much. I have a big. Of course, we're watching on a tiny screen, but right. as opposed to a big TV. But uh, I mean, it's all cinematography's all over the place. Granted, they're filming out in the desert on Joshua Tree, which is only about an hour from my house. Uh, so I could easily go to the filming locations if I wanted to subject myself to, you know, heat punishment. I guess because <laughs> I don't really care. Uh, and Joshua Tree is a very beautiful place. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. I wouldn't want to go there just. Oh, look, this is where they film. The hills have eyes too. Because I don't do location videos on YouTube because a million other people already do them. So, but anyway, so David Lewis, I wouldn't say he's a bad cinematographer. You know, he's middle of the road. I mean, UHF didn't look bad, but UHF was a parody movie and it looked like a parody movie. Uh, So there's that. And then Robert Houston is Bobby reprising his role from the first Hills Have Eyes. He was also in 1941. And uh, in a cool, uh, only a couple people, maybe only one person listening (laughs) other than me and you, Jesse, will get this reference. But in Asia Mania... Uh, reference he directed Shogun Assassin when it was because uh, uh, Shogun Ass- Assassin is basically a combination of I think three or four films uh, from J- uh, Japan in the Lone Wolf and Cub series but it was released over here as Shogun Assassin where they I want to say they cut together the first two or three to make one movie and he was the director which I mean I guess you more so call him an editor <laughs> as opposed to a director uh, of that when it was brought over here and also highly recommend Shogun Assassin, although I stronger, strongly, which is not a real word, but I just made it up, recommend the actual original Lone Wolf and Cub series. Because if you like samurai action, if you've been playing Ghost of uh, Tsushima on PlayStation, then you're like, oh, I want to watch some samurai movies. And the only one you can think of is The Last Samurai. I've got some news for you. Japan has a lot of really amazing samurai movies you should be watching. And Lone Wolf and Cub is definitely one of them. And also the, uh, the, uh, the manga that it's based off of is one of the best... Uh, comic series I've ever read in my life. Very, very good. So uh, there's that your brief little uh, Easter uh, Japanese cinema tangent for this episode. Uh, Kevin Spiritus, or Spiritus, uh, he was Roy, which is a name I despise. No offense to anybody out there named Roy. I just, it's, it's more like a verb to me. It sounds like you should be Roy'd, not like, hi, I'm Roy. I don't know. It's, that's just me. That's just me. Let us know your pet peeve names. Jesse, you have any? Uh, Cody. No, no, again, no offense to my name, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a name, like, you know, like Miranda. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just picking one out. Again, no offense to my name, this. Everybody has, like, especially if you have a kid, you will go through that phase with your partner when you're trying to pick names for a child, and they'll be like, oh, I love, I love uh, Stevie for a girl. And I'm like, I'm not naming, I know, I knew this person named Stevie when I was in high school. We're not naming our child Stevie. You're going to go through that if you have a kid, I promise. <laughs> Unless your partner is completely pass, uh, you know, just passive, not passive aggressive, but uh, I don't know, say, doesn't care. Yeah. You know, yeah, just doesn't give a shit what your child's named. But uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. So if your name Roy, you know, hey, we're friends. We're still friends. <laughs> just don't dig the name. Go by your middle name, unless your middle name's Cody. And, you know, Cody Roy Harris. Cody Roy. That sounds like somebody I might have gone to school with, actually, <laughs> uh, in Louisiana. But anyway, but uh, Kevin Spiritus, again, I, I'm, it's, it's, 
Spear. I think, I think I'm, I, I'm assuming that's how he pronounces it. So if I got it wrong, I'm sorry, Kevin. But he's a veteran of the podcast because he was in Friday the 13th, part seven. He was the uh, final guy, so to speak, in that film, uh, along with uh, the psychic, uh, I forget her name in the movie. Uh, but he was also where I first re- remembered him from when I first saw him, when uh, as upon rewatches of Friday the 13th, part seven, was Days of Our Lives. <laughs> so mm. along with most, most kids that came home in the afternoon and after the cartoons <laughs> went off, watched Days of Our Lives. Or because uh, we, we used to. Uh, we used to have our business in the back of a, I think I've told the story before, so I'm sorry, but basically had our shop in the, we converted a barn. I say barn, not like an old, you know, it was a, it was a storage building that we, you know, redid inside and out and made it like an office. Uh, so for lunch, we would just, you know, we'd work and we'd walk to the house and watch Days of Our Lives every day for lunch. Then Days of Our Lives was over, I was like, fuck, gotta get back to work. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of good memories watching Days of Our Lives, so... That's where I immediately, every time I see him, I don't think of Friday the 13th Part 7, like a good horror nerd should. I think of Days of Our Lives. Uh, Tamara Stafford is Cass. Uh, she has two other TV movies, or I say two other, but two TV movies to her credit, and another, an actual, one other theatrical film called Against All Odds. And one of the silliest things in this movie is that she's supposed to be blind. And it's one of those things where this girl is obviously, excuse me, this person is obviously in no form or fashion at all blind. <laughs> They're just acting like they think a blind person could if they could see. You know, it's it's bad blind acting. You know, it's not it's not Ray uh Ray Charles. I said Ray, Ray Ray Charles and Ray. Uh Jamie Foxx and Ray where he like glued his eyes shut to where he was literally blind acting. Now they're doing blind uh, face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she didn't do it. You know, <laughs> you know, good for her. You know, honestly, you know, in this day and age, you know, she didn't go blind face. That's a very good point, Jesse. <laughs> That's a good one, seriously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she's supposed to be blind, and then when you watch the movie, you, I, I forgot she was blind several times in this movie until another ancillary character is like, "Oh wait, no, you're blind. I forgot you can't see." <laughs> like, oh wait, she is blind. Wow. Uh, and then we had John Laughlin as Hulk. Uh, he's he's gone on to a lot of things. He was in The Rock. He was in Footloose. He was an officer and a gentleman. So he redeemed himself from being in this film. Uh, Willard E. Pugh, he was Foster. He was also in some notable things. He was in RoboCop 2, underrated sequel, uh, The Color Purple, and Air Force One, the good Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Uh, and then we have Janice Blythe. She was Rachel slash Ruby. She is a returning character, much like uh, Robert Hewson as Bobby from the original. And she was also in The Phantom of the Paradise, which is a great 70s musical horror, fun, fun movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that one for the uh, great music, kind of creepy fun to watch and then returning from last week michael berryman is pluto of course that's from last week deadly blessing the original hills have eyes and i don't i can't remember if i mentioned it or not last week but he was the skull cowboy in the deleted scenes from the uh the original crow with uh brandon lee mm-hmm. which if you watch on shutter they have a series called cursed films and one of the films they talk about is the crow and they show a lot of behind the scenes stuff, some of the deleted scenes. And I think on a certain either, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's on a Blu-ray version of The Crow yet, but I know on a DVD version, they do have like that deleted scene where you can watch a lot of the Skull Cowboy footage uh, from the movie. But again, it was totally cut from the film. Michael Berryman, if you ever see him in, in uh, interviews, just such a nice guy. Like I really would like to like meet him at a con. Uh, very humble and just he seems like one of those. And you hear that all the time, like with ho- people who play scary characters, you know, Kane Hodder, Freddie, uh, Robert England. Bruce Campbell, everybody who's in the horror movies are usually some of the nicest, friendliest people. Elvira, uh, always got to give a shout out to the Mistress of the Dark. 
but yeah, that's that's the most of the cast. Now, this film. Now, I said last week that this film's better than Deadly Blessing, not on a technical level, but in terms of having a drink, watching this film, and just kind of having fun. It's way more entertaining than Deadly Blessing. But if you haven't seen the first one, you should see the first one because it's a cla- it's a horror classic. And to be honest, the remake, the first remake of The Hills Have Eyes, is it's not that bad. Uh, I wouldn't say it's terrible. I'd say it's you know a lot of people actually prefer it over the original. But one thing I like about the original Hills Have Eyes, kind of like Texas Chainsaw and Craven's previous work with uh, Last House on the Left, it's got that just kind of a grimy, dirty feel that m- movies don't have that anymore. You know, after after I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's just like I feel like I need to go take a bath. I need to, excuse me, uh, you know, put some saline solution in my eyes and just kind of rinse them out and watch something in extremely high definition for about an hour. Original Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, both kind of like that. Just they, it has a grit to it. It has true grit uh, to the film and just the way it's shot and everything. This one does too, but uh, in terms of Hills Have Eyes too. But the remake of Hills Have Eyes, it, it's more of a again studio production. Kind of like the Texas Chainsaw remake. Still a little dirty, but not like grimy and gritty like the original. But nevertheless, I will say, everybody knows my stance on remakes. Hills Have Eyes remake, it's not terrible uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and if you say you prefer it over the original, I'm not going to hold it against you. I mean, this isn't a series that I watch every year. Uh, although I have to say, part the original part two, is this movie is so bad, it's not good. It's so bad, it's entertaining. Uh, if I had to pick one to watch, I'd watch this one again because it's so just... It's just silly, for lack of a better word. And if you might, you might be thinking, "Oh, Trey saying something silly." This movie is so silly. It will, actually, let me let me let me save the. This movie's known for a very particular thing among horror circles. Uh, and if you don't know, let me, I'll get to that in just a second. Let me kind of give some more of the trivia, and then I'll kind of touch on it when it when it's more time appropriate. But oh, forgot a vital part of this podcast. I first saw this movie late, late night on TBS or something, you know, one of those up all, either up all night or just on USA or something like that. So I don't, I think, honestly, I think watching it this time was the first time I've seen the actual, you know, movie, not a TV cut version. Mm-hmm. Not that I remembered it piece by piece. There's a few things I remembered watching about this film, uh, the dirt bikes, you know, crew and everything. And then of course the scene I'm going to talk about in just a minute but, uh, you know, so it's not very much nostalgic. It's just a film I vaguely remember. However, revisiting it, I had, again, I had fun watching this because it's so silly. It's, I mean, you could take the cannibals out of this movie and put Jason Voorhees in, and it would be like Friday the 13th in the desert. Like, it, it plays much more akin to an, a traditional, stereotypical 80s slasher as opposed to a sequel to an original, you know, stranded in the middle of nowhere, no helps around thriller. The first one's great. This one is dumb. However, again, to me, it's dumb fun. Uh, Jesse, I'm going to go on a, a very thick limb here and assume that you've probably never seen this movie. I'm watching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a virgin here. Hills of Ice to Virgin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, you know, like, it, 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 if, you are, if you are a horror fan, it's worth watching. If you're, a fan, you know, if you're a casual horror fan, you don't need to watch this. If you're a bad movie fan, watch it. If you're, uh, if you want a movie, you can just have it on the background to kind of laugh at while you're playing a MMO or doing some work. Sure, uh, but it's again, it's not a good movie. But let's let's get to the trivia and get to what I really want to talk about what this film's known for in just a second. But uh, as I mentioned, it was filmed in Joshua Tree, and also some of the shots were done in Bronson Cave. Bronson Cave 
is more famously known as the Batcave because if you've ever watched the old Adam West Batman TV show, which was a kid, was one of my favorite things growing up, watching it on the family channel of all places because I was the only place that had it when I was a kid because we didn't have Netflix and all that kind of shit. Streaming was not even real. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's the scene where the Batmobile comes out of the Batcave when every, every time they slide down the poles and change from Bruce Wayne and uh, Dick Grayson to Batman and Robin, they jump in the car, you know, engines up, turbines of speed, and they shoot out and it plays a you get what I'm saying? That shot where the little uh, rail like goes down and they drive off, they're coming out of Bronson Cave. You can go there today, it's a cave. Now, when I say it's a cave, it's more like a cave that, like, when you when you walk into it, you can see the other side. Like, it's not like a, it's almost like a porticache, really, more so than a cave. Uh, but it's it's right at the base of Griffith Park. Uh, it's very easy to get to. Uh, sometimes, though, a lot it's, they still actively use it to film things because it's a cave right in Los Angeles that has ample room for filming, equipment, shots, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's used a lot. So if you go, if you're ever in the Los Angeles area. There's a good chance when you go, you might not be able to even see it because it might be, you know, closed for filming. And I did air quotes right there uh, for all the visually impaired on this audio podcast. Uh, but it's a really cool place, I recommend. But they did film some of the cave stuff there for it. Now, this film's now the the history of this film is pretty interesting. I think it was actually released after A Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, because this is released in '85. Elm Street was '84. Uh, the Hills of Oz Part Two. It was shot before. Elm Street actually even went into production, but they ran out of money about two way, uh, two thirds of the way through it. So they just kind of set it on the shelf. Wes went and made Nightmare and became a household name and proved that he's an amazing director and an amazing writer in that film. Not so much this one. Uh, well, I one also, one thing about Wes Craven, I think he has some of the best damn titles of movies ever, personally. Three, the three I point to, uh, Last House on the Left. I mean, it tell, that already tells you menace. There's something menacing. There's something creepy about the last house on the left. The hills have eyes, which is creepy. You know, as a kid, I I distinctly remember the VHS cover of this film because it's got Michael Berryman's face like in blue, and the cover was as a kid was just creepy. He's got the knife by his face. The cover makes the movie look incredibly scary. It's not obviously, but uh, you know, just the name "The Hills Have Eyes" scared me as a kid. Like, oh, like what you know. At first, as a young kid, it was like, the hills have eyes. And I immediately think of, you know, I, get, I don't know, Teletubbies or Sesame Street, where a hill literally has eyes. But then as you get older, it's like, you know, that's, you know, the hills have eyes. Like, that's, you know, you're being watched by someone or something. Very creepy. And then, of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Simple, to the point, iconic. So, hats off to Wes Craven for his title. Now, Deadly Blessing, too simple. And next week's film, I'll go ahead and tell you, Deadly Friend. He's, you know, I was just like, you know what? I don't feel like thinking about a cool title. I'm just going <laughs> to Deadly Blessing, Deadly Friend. He should have done one more movie with Deadly in the title. So we could have the Deadly trilogy, but he didn't. Mm. God rest his soul. But uh, that's next week. But anyway, uh, so yeah, but then after Elm Street was a huge, huge success. Because remember, uh, we got Lord of the Rings because of New Line Cinema. And New Line Cinema exists because of Freddy Krueger. New Line is the house that Freddy built. That's the ta- That's like the the moniker they've even appreciated and not necessarily promoted, but I mean, Freddy Krueger is why we have New Line Cinema, why they didn't go broke and why they were a powerhouse, you know, that made Lord of the Rings, produced, helped help make Lord of the Rings and many, many other films. Uh, so, you know, it can never be diminished the importance of Freddy Krueger and slash, slash, haha, Nightmare on Elm Street as a franchise as a whole, cinematically, but also for the business because it kept alive one of the, I think one of the better uh, studios out there. 
anyway, I digress. So after Nightmare was a huge, huge hit, they're like, hey, uh, Wes, you want to finish Hills Have Eyes too? But, uh, oh, yeah, you can only use the footage you've already shot. So he couldn't shoot anything else. <laughs> Luckily, they had a beginning, middle, and end. But the runtime was, you know, 65, 70, 90, maybe not even 70 minutes. So that is why this film has about, I think, four, I think about, I think four flashbacks. Mm. And it's the Wayne's World flashbacks, the diddle-loo, 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 you know, wavy lines, flashback. Main character starts with a flashback, recap at the end of the first one. Okay, that's typical for a horror movie, especially in the 80s. You know, recap the last one in case anybody's seen it or refresh their memory and off and running. No, we have that one. We have another one with the uh, Judy slash uh, oh Rudy Ruby excuse, Rachel slash Ruby excuse me not Judy, uh, and the thing that this film is most known for, the dog has a flashback in this movie. <laughs> yes, shows the dog wavy lines. The dog remembers what happened the last time they were here, and this is not a joke. And and more and the thing is. Wes Craven did this. <laughs> right. You know, Wes Craven, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Cursed, People Music of the Heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do too. But, you know, it's just, all you have this movie, and also this dog has a flashback. It makes that's, me think of that but, uh, Kevin Smith movie that he's in. People love monkeys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really, Wes? A monkey? Yeah, but it's the most of the most of the time when people bring up Hills of Ice, they're like, "Oh yeah, the movie with the dog has a flashback." That's kind of like it's what it's known for. Much like Deadly Blessing, if anybody's talking about it, aside from a podcast that's doing West Craven Month or talking about Sharon Stone's first film, the, the thing they'll talk about is a scene with the spider in the mouth. This movie, it's all about the goddamn dog having a flashback. So, uh, and also, Wes Craven claims that he did this film because he was in need of money and has since disowned it. So this is like his Dune. Because mm-hmm. David Lynch disowned Dune, Wes Craven has disowned this film. I can see why. However, again, if he, all, if all of his film, if I had to pick the worst Wes Craven film in terms of, from a technical ass point, uh, ass point, what the fuck, ass <laughs> a, point, ass point from this ass point, uh, if I had to pick the worst Craven film from a standpoint, uh, from a point of view of the worst made one, technically. I don't even know where I got that ass work from. <laughs> anyway, God, my brain is just all over the place, I guess. California. But uh, I would, you know, this is probably the worst technically made. Uh, just from having to use flashbacks of humans and animals to pad running time. You know, I understand his frustration with it. It's definitely the worst one made. I wouldn't say it's his worst film. More on that on our last episode of the of the Halloween horror. <laughs> Hootenanny, hoedown of horror but uh it, again it's just i understand i understand his frustration as a creator of it like i can't believe i made this understand it completely but it's still fun it's still fun dumb fun like i said i'm gonna say that a lot even more uh to the short run time of this episode but uh it would also even michael berryman admits like this film was absolutely terrible and it is but this is this is one that you would see that you know should be on mystery science theater should be on riff tracks Joe Bob should do it for fun because it's so bad. Uh, just to laugh at. It, again, it, I, I don't know. I just don't, I'm trying not to repeat myself too much. Anyway, let me just move on. That'll help. Uh, and I watching it this time, I immediately noticed this. I'm like, what the hell is up with this music? This is li- it's literally music cues mm-hmm. from Friday the 13th. 
Oh. Uh, and Henry Mancini, Harry, excuse me, Henry. God, I just, hmm, let me uh, put my dentures back in. <laughs> Harry Manfredini did the score for this film too. So he, you know, well, I guess, you know, the film got shelved. They brought it back. He's like, fuck it. I'm going to use some of these cues from Friday. So you, he, you, if you're not, you're not like having a brain aneurysm or anything. They literally use some of the music from Friday the 13th in this film. And not so much the, uh, that scene we just watched is so sick. Uh, not the, uh, kick, 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 bah, bah, bah. not the iconic part, but more so the kind of the psycho S like, dun, dun, dun. I'm, I, actually, I can't even repeat it without doing the psycho theme. But if you're watching it, you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear it. You're like, oh, that sounds familiar because it's from Friday the 13th and they just reused it. So that's, there's really not much on this movie at all. Like I said, I mean, when most of the people behind it have disowned it, it's not looked upon as a good sequel. Again, it's footnote in history is that the dog has a flashback. <laughs> uh, however, uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a, you should, if you're a horror fan, you should watch it once. It's a, it's a fun movie. They don't make him like this anymore for a good reason. It's silly. And again, I'll say it one last time, hopefully one last time. It's dumb fun. It's worth watching at least once. Give it a shot. And to me, it's much more entertaining than Deadly Blessing, which is why for a score, I gave Deadly Blessing a four. And I said last week, it, this one's better. So I give this one a 4.1 because it has to be better than Deadly Blessing. On a technical level, a two. Oof. And on a, on a sheer, you know, on an enjoyment level, and there's a dog flashback we're watching right now. <laughs> that dog has PTSD. Uh, but yeah, so again, is it is it a better made? Is it technically a better film than Deadly Blessing? Absolutely not. Not saying that. However, I would watch this twice before watching Deadly Blessing again, just because I that movie was boring as fuck and did not make any sense. And this film actually at least manages to make since even though it's ludicrous so i'll give you that i'll give it that much uh in the real world again this supposedly released august 2nd 1985 on the same day and that's kind of a, a downer for this time of year or that year uh delta airlines flight 191 crashes near dallas texas killing 137 people tragedy so they didn't have to watch this movie uh totally joking <laughs> uh 10 days later Japan Airlines flight 123 crashes in Japan, killing 520 people. Jeez. It is the worst single aircraft disaster in history. 520 people in one airplane crash. Like, I guess it was a jumbo jet. I have no clue. I, I, that's all I saw. I looked at Wikipedia for that crashed day. into a stadium. <laughs> I mean, something. I mean, five, I mean that's <laughs> insane. Like, you know, because yeah. like even like even like uh, you know when we when we, when Americans think a plane crash, it, everybody's mind goes to nine eleven. I mean, th there was like you know 30, 40 people on each plane because they weren't like necessary filled to capacity. You know, the August second Delta crash, you had one hundred ninety one, which is a full plane. Uh, but then five hundred and twenty people in one crash. That's you know hor horrific and terrifying, and a tragedy. So early August, you know, August nineteen eighty five wasn't a good month to air travel. Just saying. In hindsight, everybody should have stayed home and, you know, drove. But anyway, back to the future. We're done talking about The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Jesse, still cranking away at your work or any, any free time to play anything, see anything, watch anything? To experience the arts? Nah, not really, actually. Hmm. What'd you see? Well, we've been Squid Game, which was okay. absolutely amazing. Uh, now, I'll... 
I don't want, I'm not going to spoil anything because it's a great series. However, that dude looks like Andy Samberg. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Again, visual joke, audio podcast. Sorry. But uh, Squid Game, it's a Korean made uh, nine episode series, I believe. Um, but having been someone who has watched a ton of Asian cinema, you know, Kung Fu films from, uh, from China, uh, samurai and horror films from Japan, Korean film, horror, you know, all the genres from Korea. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it, it, it's, it's, it's peak Asian cinema. I think it's a, it's, I think a lot of, a lot of, or let me, I'm trying to phrase this correctly to get my point across. But I think if, if you like squid game, if you watch it like, wow, this was amazing. There is so much amazing, uh, many, so many amazing movies out. There. I can't say much for TV shows. Cause I think squid game might actually be the first, uh, like television kind of show I've watched aside from Takeshi's castle and, which is basically MXC over here. Uh, but like, you know, that style, cause I'm autumn, me and my wife are watching it. I'm just like, autumn, just so you know, this is, this isn't, is this, this is Asian cinema, you know, don't get too attached and it's probably gonna get really fucked up. And it does. That's, that's just how it works. I mean, go watch itchy, the killer old, the original old boy. Uh, you know, they have a very, you know, and that's why I personally really love Asian cinema because it's so different they don't pull any punches when it comes to a lot of stuff like we do over here with American audiences. Uh, and squid games, very representative of that. Like some of the stuff that happens, it's not something you'd see on an American TV show or at least not handled the way that it is. Cause you know, I mean, Americans are so much in terms of like, you know, I don't know. That's, I don't want to get on a soapbox on that crap right now, but uh, regardless, if you were like, Oh, everybody's talking about it. I don't want to watch it. Cause everybody's watching it. This isn't some sort of hipster show. Like, Flash in the pan like uh, Tiger King to where like, oh, my God, this is crazy. It's, it's a good tele. It's good cinema. It's good TV. So well acted, beautifully directed. Uh, and it's fucked up. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I like to watch certain, you know, uh, there's a point if, if you're a horror fan, there's a point where like you go actively searching for fucked up stuff for stuff that people actually, you know, that will actually scare you or disturb you. And a lot of the time that journey will take you into Asian. The first stop on that train is Asian cinema. And that it probably ends with uh, a Serbian film <laughs> or solo. Uh, look them up. I'm not going to talk about those. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's believe the hype. Like, you know, and, and it, it, oh, I don't want to watch it because everybody's watching. It's, it can't be that good if everybody likes it. No, it's good. Like, seriously, it's a it's great. I personally enjoyed it. Uh, if you find your taste aligning with mine, then I think you'll like it, too. Uh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give my thoughts on the ending or anything like that because I want you should need to watch it. Just just watch it is what I can say. Did you and I did, uh, dub it or did you watch and read? I now ever since I got in when I first started. Well, I've always been a, you know, the subs versus dub thing has gone on since the dawn of <laughs> of uh, uh, mangas being translated, uh, coming over here uh, and everything. You know, I've, I've told the story before, but when I was a kid, or when I was younger, I should say, they had the manga video. And they had the manga video club. And that's where I first saw Akira, uh, saw Vampire Hunter D originally on TBS, dubbed. Gogo 13, Ninja Scroll. Uh, Demon City, Shinjuku, all these like what I would consider classics of animated Japanese cinema, Wicked City. Uh, and in, in the video club, they always came dubbed. So I always started with dubbed. I have nothing against subtitles. But if I'm like, uh, for example, uh, 
Last Hurrah for Chivalry, John, uh, a lot of the kung fu films that I've watched that I like to watch. I like to watch those dubbed just so I can focus on the action. I don't have to like stop and look down to see what they're saying right there in the middle of a very technically dynamic and an impressive and beautiful sword fight or whatever. That's just me. I don't if, if uh, I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the theaters uh, subtitled doesn't bother me. But if somebody gives me the the uh, option, I go dubbed personally. Uh, do I th- is it better? Oh, you don't get the actor's performance from the original. I understand all that. But when I watch something, you know, if Squid Game's, like I said, nine hours long, I'm not going to rewatch it subtitled. If I ever rewatch it, which I probably will eventually, absolutely, it's that good, uh, I'll probably watch it the next time subtitled. And there's a whole bunch of controversy about how the subtitles are not actively displaying any or whatever. From my perspective, a white American male, I think it, I'm pretty sure I got a lot of maybe not the cultural specificity, specificities that some people are pointing out in the, in the uh, sub mistranslation. But I mean, I didn't think anything interfered with character motivation, the incredible acting by the characters. Honestly, and here's the thing uh, in Squid Game, you, I could probably watch it without subtitles or dubs. And I wouldn't obviously know exactly what's going on, but it is so well acted that you, I, you know, I could follow along with it. Uh, that way. Uh, but yeah, anyway, to answer your question, a long roundabout way, Jesse, I watched it dubbed. All right. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. But yeah, any, but I mean, again, I, I watched dubbed to kind of wrap up what I was saying because that's how I was first introduced to Asian cinema was dubbed versions. Whenever anything came on TV, it was dubbed. Uh, all the old Kung Fu films I would watch, the Shaw Brothers movies, Super Inframan, everything like that, they were always dubbed. And... Nostalgia has a big factor in that because uh, when eBay first came out, or it was first like, you know, I say come out, came out like it was like a huge, big, publicized release. When I first got on eBay when it came out, uh, I, I, there were so many movies that I, Asian movies that I loved that I was, I uh, remembered from my childhood that I wanted to, you know, oh, they have to be on Blu ray or whatever. And they were, they were always on Blu ray, but they were, I could only find them on eBay from sellers who would, you know, I guess had a connection over there and, you know, the covers were all in uh, their native language and all that, but they always had, you know, they always had subtitles, but they, uh, a lot of them were dubbed and the dubs that they had were the original like dubs from back in the day. And when I say that, I'm not, I don't mean to sound racist. Like this is not meant to sound, I'm just giving you a timestamp of when I watched them. It was the bad dub. Like, ah, no, we're going to not do this. Hey, get away from there. You know, bad, (laughs) stereotypical bad dubs. You know, that kind of thing. And is that better? No, but for me, the nostalgia of it, like Last of Chivalry is a perfect example. The way some lines are delivered in that dub, it's a bad dub. However, like that's how me and my brother watched it repeatedly. So like we will quote that movie, but in the in- inflection and how it's the original dub is. So when that movie came out on Blu-ray, or I saw it and like I was like my first question was is it the original dub or did they redub it? It's the not the original dub. Screw it. I'll keep my version because I want that original dub when I watch it because that's what you know that's what brings me back and that's what makes me happy when watching it. But of course, if I wanted to be you know a purist, which I have no problem wearing that hat too, subtitles is where it's at. So there's your uh, take. Trey prefers dubs for the most part. There you go. Now. If I was learning Japanese or learning a foreign language, I would only watch subtitles. Mm. Uh, or if I was trying to, like, you know, 
pick up something or you know something like that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if I'm just gonna watch it, I watch. And if it's a good, like for example, I've watched uh, a lot of the movies I mentioned before, both dubbed and subtitled since then. But my first choice is dubbed. But if you give me say, hey Trey, watch this movie, it's awesome. I'm not gonna be like, whoa, what is this about subtitles? I, don't, I can't watch something when I'm trying to read things. That's an IT crowd quote. So if you've ever seen that show, you you'll get it. But yeah. any case, I did uh, what I was. I briefly alluded to about ten minutes ago. For I got back on the t- versus subs train. Was uh, last night I actually watched a movie that I've. I remember when it came out, and I always like had it in the back burner. I considered it a blind spot in my uh, horror viewing history, and that was the Midnight Meat Train with none other than Bradley Cooper. Now, I, I remember this movie when it came out, and speaking of Asian cinema, it's directed by, and I'm going to butcher his name because I'm trying to think of it by uh, memory, uh, but he directed Versus, uh, Ryu, Ryuhai Kima, Kitara, Kitamara. Again, I'm butchering it, but he's the, the director of Versus, which is an, uh, I want to say it's a Japanese movie, hyper-violent, super awesome. It's like basically Devil May Cry the movie. Actually, I think Devil May Cry might have, ins- or the movie might have inspired Devil May Cry, or vice versa. Anyway, Midnight Meat Train. Ben, I'm going to talk about CG. <laughs> the, this, it's, this movie was great. I was blown away how much I liked it. It's really, I thought it was really good. It's early 2000s. It's Bradley Cooper before he got you know, in The Hangover, before, you know, before he was really famous. This is him, you know, this kind of him, his Kevin Bacon in Friday the 13th and Tremors. Well, not Tremors, because he's already he post Footloose. Kind of Bradley Cooper era. Like, he probably wouldn't do a movie like this now. But it really goes to show you, A, how talented he was back then. I'm so sorry I slept on this movie for, you know, 20 years, maybe 15, 16. Because the Clive Barker movie is based on a Clive Barker story. And uh, again, always heard about it, just never got to it because the name kind of like Midnight Meat Train sounds like a, you know, a song by Guar or something. But uh, it's really like I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Autumn even liked it. And again, I'm not saying like, oh, Autumn doesn't like any movies, but for her to enjoy a movie, says something about how because if it keeps her off her phone that says something because she's phoner which again that's fine nothing wrong with that uh but vinnie jones is in it uh i forget her name but sam rockwell significant others in it that's the end that's a spoiler (laughs) not that we're showing it to people uh but yeah i was i was blown away by how much i liked it it's super gory however they there is a lot of cg blood in this movie a lot I want to spoil one thing right now, and this is the part which is this is the part where I was like, "Oh my god!" Just like I was like, "Are you serious?" Uh, basically, Vinnie Jones beats people to death with a freaking uh, meat tenderizer in the subway, and Ted Raimi is talking. Yes, that Ted Raimi, and he hits him in the back of the head, and it's it's completely CG. Ted Raimi's I mean, Ted Raimi's real and all that. The blood goes everywhere from the back of his head. His eyeballs pop out of the front of his head. In some of the worst CG this side of the Scorpion King I've ever seen, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Mummy Two with where the rock, you know that thing you see all the time of CG where the rock comes out as an example of bad CG. Horrible, horrible CG blood everywhere. So at first I was like, "What? Like seriously? Like why did you do that?" However, once I saw who directed it and the kineticness of the violence in this movie. I completely did a 180, and I, I am fine with this movie using CG blood. because uh, They still have a lot of real blood. Don't get me wrong. It's still gory. This movie's gory as fuck. It's called The Midnight Meat Train, and it delivers on the gore. 
uh, normally I just despise CG blood, and I really wish they would have done it otherwise. But this is the director of Versus, and if you've seen Versus with how crazy the action and gore is in that movie, you see it here too. That he went with the CG. If this movie had been made in Japan, it would all be it, there would be no CG most likely. But it's an American movie, and so they want to do it this way. So they had to for this effect instead of having you know Phil Tippett or Stan Winston if he was still alive at this point. Maybe, I think maybe he might have been you know do a physical practical effect of Ted Raimi's eyes popping out of his head would have looked fantastic, fantastically probably cheesy, yes, but not as cheesy as the CG part. But long story short, too late. Uh, even though it has CG blood all over the place, I really like. I recommend Midnight Me Train. It's it's. Uh, I was I was surprised, like legitimately, like I'm I'm speaking like a kid in a candy or a kid that just got his favorite piece of candy or something. Like I would, I'm I'm no more. No one is more surprised as me how much I like this movie. Uh, faults notwithstanding, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, but I'd say it's one of Clive Barker in terms of a film inspired by the works of Clive Barker. You know, Hellraiser, Lord of Illusions, uh, Midnight Me Train. Uh, there's one I'm, I'm missing. I can't think of it off. Uh, Candyman. Golly. Uh, uh, Rawhead Rex, which we've done on the podcast, it's one, I think it's one of the better ones based on his work. And I haven't read the short story. I think it's actually the first short story in his first in the first book of Blood. Uh, but from what I saw in a YouTube video after we watched it, it's actually pretty close to the uh, short story. So uh, if you're looking for something like gory and scary, a little silly, but I, w- I wouldn't say scary. Uh, uh, what's the word? It has a it has a is a that's uh, a, a good tension. Good gore, well acted. The music is actually pretty good. It's got kind of a rock theme almost, but it, it works. Uh, the fight, the fight, like the fight scene at the end is so well choreographed and done. That's when you you can absolutely tell it was again butchering the name. Uh, the director of verses. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that to the the poor guy because if I see it, I can spell it out. I can say it, but I cannot think of it off the top of my head. But it's whatever I said earlier. Mm-hmm. So anyway, watch Midnight Me Train. Watch Squid Game. Two, two, uh, personally, two of the best recommendations I can give you right now if you're looking for something to watch. But uh, yeah, see it right there. There's Ted Raimi's eyeball popping out on your screen. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Again, I know it's a visual thing on audio podcast, but it's bad. But it, honestly, the thing is, it, it kind of sets the tone to know kind of what, like when it happens, it took me aback, like, oh, for real, you're doing this? Because you had all this physical gore earlier. <laughs> See? it's ridiculous it's it just, ridiculous it's such an easy fix too they could have just blurred it a little bit and it would look great yeah uh, they just want it to be so clean and so visible I don't know that's awful yeah <laughs> it's been like the, the sound effects when he hits people with that mallet are like like wincing like it's again. It's like I'm. I'm so pissed off at myself for not watching this sooner because I heard about it when it came out. And it kind of came and went in a real flash, and then it was always like, God, what's that movie? I remember. And then of course Bradley Cooper got big. I'm like, who was that movie? I need to watch. And never watched it literally until last night. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, let me finish my other thought that I didn't finish earlier either. But yeah, like when you see is when you see the the silliness of how the the kill with Ted Raimi looks, that really kind of sets the t- the movie. And the thing is, with all this, you know, with the kind of silly CG blood, even though the CG blood is there, it is done so well in terms of directing and, and acting. Like everybody in the movie is taking it seriously, and it works. You know, that's a big part of it. You know, if you're if you're if you know what movie you're in, 
you know, Alan Rickman in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You know, the way he played that character really, if you really think about it, really didn't kind of suit how everybody was acting in that movie. But he made the movie. Mm. He he knew what he was in and he did something. You know, he, I mean, he, anytime somebody talks about actors chewing scenery, that's the first thing I think about is Alan Rickman in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I'm not saying there's, I'm not, this, that is in no way uh, disrespectful or like, you know, because he is that movie. Like, I, I watched that movie for Alan Rickman. But he, uh, he, it's kind of like he knew that it was the movie's kind of silly and not, uh, you know, true Robin Hood, so to speak. Because, I mean, you got Kevin Costner with an American accent being Robin Hood. Uh, but in, you know, with this film, again, every every person in this film is serious. Like, shit's going on in this movie. Nobody's like, oh, my God, it's the Midnight Meat Train. There's no, like, you know, stupid point of view or anything like that. It, and so it maintains the same kind of like seven seven never lets up the that movie from the opening frame is is how the movie ends in terms of the feel of it uh i'm not saying this movie is seven this is the uh this is the action version of seven (laughs) so to speak i mean uh if that makes any sense maybe if you if you watch it you can agree or disagree with me let me know uh until the way you let us know is email for one, 80s Revisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast. On Instagram, 80s, no apostrophe, but we do have an underscore revisited. Uh, check us out there. And if you like us on Facebook or Instagram, uh, when I post, uh, I always post from Instagram because we talked about last week because it goes to Facebook and Twitter. But if you reply on Twitter, I probably will never see it because I'm telling you again for the 50th time, I just don't get it. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just tapping out. They got me. Twitter's got me in the figure four. I don't get it. Instagram, Instagram, Facebook are so easy for me. I guess I get, I get, I'm officially old. There you go. I'm officially acknowledging my oldness that I don't want to fuck with Twitter. So there you go. So if you, you, you can say whatever you want on Twitter. I probably won't see it for months later. So you can play a game to see how long it takes for Trey to check it, check it. And hint, hint, I will check it after this podcast just because I said it. So, <laughs> but anyway, visit our friends uh, on YouTube, Cajun Toy Review with uh, John from the old. Uh, now versus nostalgia podcast and of course uh the bamcast still has been on it when they put out an episode and check out tcw tasmanian championship wrestling ben's tearing up over there doom slayer keep it up man uh and until next week well uh, as i mentioned already cats out of the bag or basketballs in the head which is a joke for next week uh next week's film deadly friend with the lovely buffy the vampire slayer the og buffy the vampire slayer christy swanson directed by wes craven so we've we started with religion we moved to cannibals in the middle of the desert and now we're going high tech to robots baby so this halloween horror is all over the place which is also pretty you know uh shows uh, i'm not going to say the versatility i want to say the uh the wide spectrum of topics that wes craven has has in his filmography (laughs) so uh deadly friend if you haven't seen that movie you've seen the meme it's the meme with the woman from uh mama fratelli getting her head exploded by a basketball if you've seen that meme, then that's what the, this is the movie that's from. So get ready. Uh, and if you like Short Circuit, you might not like this film. <laughs> uh, uh, kind of similar plot. We'll get into that next week because that's what we're that's what we're doing next week. So anyway, until then, everybody, hope you're enjoying Halloween Horror Month. Uh, watch Squid Game. Watch Midnight Meat Train. Give Hills Have Eyes Part Two the original uh, view if you want to watch something just mindless and silly to laugh at with some beers or some. Uh, mushroom tea or whatever you know, whatever you know whatever your whatever your poison is but until next week i will hopefully remain 
Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Find this show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.